you have to remember if you're on Martha Stewart, you are Martha Stewart approved. And that helped so much. And going on her show, I was like, oh my God, I feel this is what it's like to be famous. It was so weird to me. But then I left there and I was on unemployment and had $40 to my name. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? My name is Blake Fletcher, and this is the Half Hour Intern Podcast, where we explore the interesting paths people take in life. In today's episode, I have got a guy that took a very interesting path in life. I am interviewing Jamie Grayson of The Baby Guy MYC, or I guess he's just better known as The Baby Guy MYC. So Jamie is a single man that uh, previously lived in New York City and uh, as a single man with no children has become one of the world's foremost experts on baby gear, all sorts of equipment like strollers, uh, even things like breastfeeding pumps, like anything that you could think of that you would need if you were a new parent and you had a baby, Jamie is an expert in. And he has a very successful website where he posts products, product reviews on these different things and his thoughts on them. He has over a quarter million followers on Facebook. I promise you, if, if you don't think you've ever heard of Jamie or you haven't ever heard of Jamie, if you were to go on Facebook and go to his Facebook page, which I will link to from the show notes on Half Hour Intern, somebody you know follows Jamie. There is a basically a 100% chance that if someone that you know had a baby within the last four or five years, they follow Jamie. He uh, was written up in New York Magazine. He was written up in Parents Magazine. He's been on Martha Stewart Show. He's been on the Today Show. Uh, he's just all over the place. So we will cover a lot of what he does with the reviews in this episode. And we'll also obviously just talk about him and his story and how it is that a single man with no children has become like the world's foremost expert on gear for babies. So without further ado, here is Baby Guy MYC. Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was just telling you right before I hit the record button that I am like super excited to do this interview. Uh, more excited than I've been to do an interview in a long time. I, it, you are an incredibly fascinating person to me. Um, and most of it centers around the idea of like how you are you. And I know that that's a question that you get a lot. Uh, why don't we start there? Like how, how are you you? Like how the hell did you become the baby guy? Uh, I was an actor and I was on tour for a few years out of college. So back in 2005, I got back to New York and I didn't really want to leave the city again because I graduated in 2002 and then was traveling either with regional shows or, you know, on a tour bus for about three years. So I got to New York and i I would not say I was dating this guy at the time. We were not technically boyfriends, but someone I was having shenanigans with <laughs> was out helping him in a costume shop in Chelsea because I put myself through college sewing. And um, so I was on my way to the costume shop one day and the train broke down. And this is before we had cell phones. Like we didn't have like the iPhones or anything back at this time. Yeah. 
So I was on the train for about an hour and I had absolutely nothing to do. And there was a Village Voice uh, newspaper next to me in, on the subway seat. So I picked it up and I was reading it. And then on the very back page, it said, Bye Bye Baby is hiring actors to demonstrate product on the weekend, kind of like a trade show feel. And I was like, that's interesting. It pays a decent amount hourly. And it, Bye Bye Baby was directly across the street from the costume shop that I was working at. Okay. So I went and interviewed. And the Bye Bye Baby in New York used to be, it's still massive, but it was this massive three-floor, like 35,000-square-foot store. And I went in and interviewed, and I was like, no way in hell. Absolutely not. Like, it's too big. I'll lose my mind. So I went back to the costume shop. And for about a month, they kept calling me and I just wouldn't respond to their phone calls because I had no interest. But then I started going through all the money I had saved on tour, which wasn't that much. And I was like, I really need to be able to pay my bills. So <laughs> right. I, <laughs> paying bills in New York is important and difficult. Yeah. Uh, so I called the store and I was like, are you still interested in me? And the manager was like, absolutely. Yes. Come in. So I went in and did a second interview with the manager and he was like, Meredith, the HR girl thinks you'd be great at this job. She thinks your energy is good. And what were you told you would make an hour? And in the newspaper, I was like, it said $17 an hour and that's fine. I can do that three days a week and I can still temp a couple days and I think I'll be fine. And Barry told me, he was like, we actually start your position at $25 an hour. And I was like, you can sign me up right now. <laughs> Great. Um, so for three days a week, all I did was talk about the Bugaboo Frog Stroller and the high chair. And Bugaboo had just come to America and it was on Sex and the City. So everyone was losing their mind. So they basically gave me this stroller to play with, with zero training whatsoever. And I just figured out how it worked and how it folded and what it did and all of this and started doing like, this is how the stroller works, blah, 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 three days a week. And after a couple months of that, I just really got bored because it was just like the same thing over and over with this stroller. And uh, I learned all the strollers in the department on my own. And I started reading blogs and watching YouTube videos and going to other baby stores on my days off because I am very competitive by nature and I don't like to be wrong. Yeah. About so I needed to have some kind of frame of reference when it came to this product. So I felt like I just wasn't shilling one product all day at people. And I love Bugaboo. I still work with them all the time, but it's not the perfect stroller for everyone. So I started doing like mass stroller demonstrations on the weekends to like, 50, 60, 70 people at a time, four or five times a day on Saturday, uh, and then eventually got bored with strollers. So I learned car seats and baby carriers and high chairs and all the bouncers and the mattresses and uh, slowly made my way out of the baby basement and went upstairs to learn everything on the main floor. And after, I mean, I'd say after about two years there, they let me do baby registry appointments for people as a personal shopper. So I would take people around the store, ask them questions, show them what they needed, set up their registries, whatever. And it, they got to a point where I was booked three to five months in advance, five days a week with registry appointments. Whoa, that's crazy. 
they, they basically let me make up my own hours as long as I had registries booked. And there would be times people would wait like three hours on a Saturday just to ask me a question. And I slowly started developing this weird little following in New York City of all these parents. And when Bye Bye was bought by Bed Bath and beyond, I made it uh, about a year after that and it got corporate. And I still have friends that work at Bye Bye. I have no hard feelings against Bye Bye whatsoever. I owe them my, my livelihood now. Yeah, right. Um, but it just, it got different. So I quit uh, working at Bye Bye Baby um, and I went to work at a birth education center in Midtown that doesn't exist anymore, sadly. Um, but it was the best place in New York that you could like take your childbirth classes and your breastfeeding classes and all of this. And I was the only male on staff and they brought me in to help them kind of flip the retail component of what was going on in the store um, because it was bleeding all of the money it was making from the education side through the retail, because it was, when I say poorly run, that is being generous. It was, <laughs> um, and they, they couldn't pay the employees. I went for months without a paycheck. And then, you know, I went from making, you know, almost $30 an hour at Bye Bye Baby to making $18 an hour at this place and not getting paid. And then the, uh, education director is a buddy and she was like, Jamie, tomorrow we have to bring you into the office to uh, tell you we're taking your pay rate substantially down. Tell us you can't do that. And that way you can collect unemployment because I'd never had to collect unemployment before. I didn't know how it worked. Right. And uh, the next day they were like, we have to take you down to $8 an hour. And I was like, I can't live on that anywhere. So consider this my notice. And then the very next morning, New York Magazine's yearly Best of New York issue came out, and I was in it that year as the New York City's best baby gear guru. And I hate that word, but um, it was just very, very good timing. Unbelievable. And yeah, the category has never been in the magazine before, and it hasn't been in there since. So these people featured you without telling you that they were going to do it? And I kind of knew it was in the works, but I didn't understand to what degree it was going to be, you know, like right. I, I'd done like an article in timeout and I did, um, a really questionable reality series a couple years prior to that. Um, but so I was slowly kind of getting my name out and I already wrote for another website and people within the industry knew who I was. But when that article came out, I was unemployed. I had an inbox with like 600 emails the next day, and it wasn't from people necessarily wanting to hire me, but it was industry people and like people I'd helped at Bye Bye Baby that I was in touch with kind of secretly because back it got to a point where people started to hire me to set up their baby registries for them privately. So I had kind of branched out doing that. So my contacts within the parenting space in New York, um, it, it was very wide. There was like a large net being thrown out. So then they all kind of reached back out to me to congratulate me, but then I was unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you're unemployed. Um, okay, so I have a time period in there that I would love to zoom in on a little bit, which is when you left, uh, what's the baby store called? Bye Bye Baby? Bye bye baby. Okay, yeah. when you left them for the first time and you went to go and get the other job, I would have to imagine the same way that right now I look at 
your baby guy business and it's and and tons of people do and they're just like how is how is this guy doing this like this isn't the type of person that you would picture having this sort of business you know and i would imagine that you did a little bit of that like checking in with yourself over the time that you were at bye bye baby and yet rather than ever turning back so the reason that you got the job with bye bye baby to begin with is because it was it was acting related you know it's like it's like okay i'm an actor it's being advertised as this thing that they need an actor like okay cool now you've been there for a few years in this job that must have seemed kind of strange to you at first and rather than being like okay i'm gonna go back and try to do more acting stuff or or just totally do something totally different you're like i'm gonna double down on this whole baby thing and i'm gonna go to this place where they teach these classes and whatever else like uh i guess during that whole time period, do you ever look at yourself and be like, like, what am I doing at trying to make myself a baby expert? Uh, like, did you enjoy it? And, and then what, and then what made you like decide to rather than turn and go somewhere different to go back to acting, but you're like, you know what, this baby thing is the life for me. I'm going to go and get this other baby related job. Um, I mean, I question every day. (laughs) It it all kind of started still when I was at Bye Bye because I, I was there, you know, like four and a half years and Bye Bye was an incredibly busy store and you dealt with a very, very wide variety of customers. Some were wonderful. Some it was absolute hell dealing with them. But I'm Southern. I like to think my like little Southern gay sensibilities helped me a whole lot to deal with people. Um, but when I needed a break, I would leave the store and go off and do a contract of a show for three or four months and then come back. But I remember one time when I was doing cats, I was in my dressing room, like checking Facebook and I got a message from a stranger and it was like, you don't know us, but you helped our friend at the store. They gave us your name. We knew we'd find you on Facebook. We need help with this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And I was like, well, that is super weird that you looked up a complete stranger on Facebook to ask questions about car seats, but whatever. And that's when I kind of realized something different was happening with my like, quote unquote, survival gig. Mm. So when I went to the birth education center, um, I had actually, I knew the store. I, I knew it before I approached them and I shot them an email and I was like, I'm thinking about quitting. I, your store is very much in line with how I like to think. Uh, and I'd love the chance to come interview with you guys. So I knew that I had this very, very broad, detailed product knowledge that the store could possibly use um, in that location. So when I got there, it was just the energy there was just really cool. And it was really cool being the only male on staff and working with all these doulas and lactation consultants. And you would see these women come in, you know, three, four days postpartum, completely tired, losing their minds and like not able to nurse and having all these problems. And I would just hug them because I felt bad. And I remember there was one woman, she was like, why do you hug me? My own husband will not hug me right now. And I was like, well, that sucks. Like, yeah, for real. like work with some people. So it, it was a really, really interesting energy to be around. Um, and so for that year, even though it was really hard, it was a very, very hard year of work for me. And like, the fallout from that for the next year and a half was difficult trying to figure out how to survive. But um, when, when I left that job, I 
I knew that I had this skill set that was very, very weird and different. And it wasn't like I was just some mom that started making YouTube videos about strollers. And not that there's anything wrong with that, not to negate it. But I was coming into this space of product information as the only person that had a retail background and saw how companies dealt with customer service and what products broke all the time. And I had a very different kind of outlook on product and product information mm. than a mom that has used the product and like it because I, I, I am not biased. I have no allegiance to anyone. And it's like, I, I, I have a very different way in which I approach reviewing and recommending products. So I just kind of stuck it out. You know, I was living on like, there were, there were weeks like my unemployment wouldn't go through. And I was like, well, I've got $20, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I knew that I had this knowledge base that is, was very hard to come by and it took a while. So I started working privately with brands and I would go to like Bugaboo's headquarters in Amsterdam and train them on all of their competitors in the market and how all the other strollers worked and what they needed to do to properly train retail associates mm. to sell their product. So I started working privately like that. And then I did my very first speaking event uh, with my friend Lindsay, who runs a group in Chicago called Bump Club Beyond. And I was more nervous for that than anything in recent memory, to be honest, because I knew that I had all of this information, but I'd never had, nobody had ever paid for it in a formal environment, you know? So I did that. And then that grew into a speaking series. I do now this year, we're doing 15 of those. And I worked with another group called MommyCon, and I work with Nordstrom and Depending on the year, I do anywhere from 19 to 36 speaking events. That's incredible. So to what you were saying about your first one and having not really been paid for something like that yet, talk a little bit more about that. And I guess I, I imagine there's a large part of sure. your uh, like ego, I guess, for a, cer uh, like a, a, a certain extent that that has trouble with the idea of like, okay, no one's ever paid me for this before. Like, I don't know if I'm like worthy of that, so to speak, you know, like is, I know I have all this info and I know it's great, but it's like a very different thing getting paid for it. Yeah. You, you really get in your head about it. And I, I just remember that first time I had to use a handheld mic and I tried to dress nice and like, it's not my thing at all. So I was just up there and I just remember talking about this stuff and seeing it was at a baby store in Chicago called Galt and they removed all the fixtures and put seats in. And I just remember standing at one end and seeing the sea of people that had paid to hear me give them advice. And at Bye Bye Baby, I mean, there were there were times there would be a hundred people around me and I had no problem at all because they were there because all the people in New York knew about the stroller show or whatever on the weekend, you know? Mm -hmm. So when, when it got to a point that people were paying me for my information and like, you know, we could talk about like monetizing social media and everything after this, but it's like it just in terms of the speaking events, it, you, there's a difference because people it's time and it's their money. And a lot of the events are at night People have been at work all day. They're pregnant. They all have to pee. 
you know, they're exhausted, their feet hurt. And for them to come spend like three hours to come play with like strollers and listen to me talk, I take that very seriously. Absolutely. Uh, So I don't, I don't use like PowerPoint. I don't use anything. I keep it very casual and very informal. And there's a basic framework to how the events work in terms of what I talk about. But it is very kind of stream of consciousness. And every single one of them is different because you never know what the audience is going to ask. Sometimes the audience is too nervous to ask questions. And I've called them out. I'm like, you paid $120 to come listen to me talk and none of you have any questions. Like, <laughs> you know, um, but it is like it, it, it once I realized I could make money off of speaking events. That's that's primarily what I did for the first few years. And then I was always doing like product reviews and giveaways and stuff on Facebook, but I never charged for any of that. And so once once my numbers started to climb on my social accounts, specifically Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, I don't really care about. Um, I use that for other reasons. <laughs> um, so I. Uh, then I brought my sister on board and my sister worked with me up until, you know, we still work very closely together, but technically she does not work for me anymore. Um, once I brought her on board, she has the sales and kind of marketing mind that I don't. So she was like the missing piece of the overall puzzle. So then we started to make money on social media um, and that helped greatly. Um, but it was just, you know, one other thing. And now I have other employees and, um, it's not just a one person show anymore. It's still a very small team, but it's, you know, not just me up all night on Facebook. Yeah. That's gotta be so awesome. So let's talk about the sort of social media business and reviewing different products and things like that. So, um, at what point did you really start reviewing a lot of products? And then I guess at what point? did that start being able to become monetized in some way? Sorry, this is a three-part question. It's all very related, so I'm just going to ask it all at once. And then how do you sift through all of the product re- review requests that get sent to you? Because I'm sure it, you're just inundated. My my apartment, it, it there are times it looks like a warehouse. Um, so with product review, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been doing that I mean, since I, since I left the birth education center, um, just because it was something to do. And I, when I started building social media, I actually did it kind of backwards and I started on Twitter and started building my Twitter audience. And then I got voted on Babbel, like one of the top moms to follow on Twitter as a joke. And, you know, started people back in the old days of Twitter, when Twitter was like super fun that's where I thought my audience was going to be. And I was like, eh, parents aren't here. Everybody's on Facebook. They all have kids. They are, they're already there. Why would I want to make them transfer platforms? So I started building Facebook up. And then my sister had twins who are eight years old now. I think. Um, so when the twins were born, I had lost my apartment in New York And I decided to move in with them for six months in Minneapolis. So when brands found out that this was happening, they started sending everything because I had fresh little babies to play with and it was super fun. 
Um, so that's when I really started doing more in-depth product reviews on social media, YouTube. I still don't really focus on YouTube a lot, to be fair, just because it's so much easier now with Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. Um, but started doing the reviews and brands send me stuff all the time. I It, it never really comes unannounced because they need my address, thank God. But, <laughs> I mean, there are, there are times when I go out you know, most of the times when I travel for work, I'll be gone for like two or three days at a time. But there are times when I'm gone for a three week stretch and I'm never home. So then I come home and I have 15, 20, 30 boxes of baby products that I have to get into my apartment and open up and play with. Um, I kind of have my own criteria. Um, it, a, if I don't like a product and I don't think it functions, I will I will have nothing to do with it. Um, so the product has to be good. I never really evaluate specifically based on price point because I don't know what everybody's budget is. I just talk about products that are good. Right. Um, so then if, if there's an interesting product, but also I'm hugely into corporate culture and how brands work within themselves and do they have a charitable component or, you know, do they treat their employees well? Are they involved in any scandal? Do they sue everybody? So I kind of have my own little checklist. And if, if I find that even if a product is good, if I find the company questionable, I will have nothing to do with them either. Um, because I'm on the road all the time. I consider the baby people, it's like being on tour with a show again. You know, I see the baby, my baby people more than I see my friends here in Denver or, you know, when I go visit my friends in New York. Um, so you really have to surround yourself with like-minded individuals when you spend so much time with them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then we started like charging a small amount to, you know, make videos and do giveaways and reviews because it is work. You know, I, I spend yeah, totally. an incredible amount of time on my computer and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm on Facebook all day, but I'm always reading. I'm always because just aside from the baby aspect of what I do, it has really made me a social media nerd and I've given seminars on social media for brands. I do that as well, but you are constantly trying to stay on top of changes in the Facebook algorithm and what kind of posts work better and how to create different content that will engage an audience. So it's a, it's a 48 hours a day job. And I'm (laughs) happy I live above a brewery. Yeah, for sure. I bet. Um, all right, take us through the products reviews themselves. So you had the time period that you were living with your sister with the twins. Ah. That totally makes sense. Okay, the kids are playing with the thing. Uh, let's talk about like now and other times when you don't have children around. How do like what is your process? How do you go about doing a product review? It it depends, honestly. Um, in New York or even here, I have a couple friends with kids. Um, I had a deal with my friends where I would borrow their friend or their kids, um, and. Just if I needed to play with strollers or baby carriers or whatever, and in exchange, I would let them raid my storage closet and they could take whatever they wanted. So my friends with babies in New York were very fortunate. Um, Now it's a little bit different because I've been in this space for so long. A lot of it to me, I can tell quality of a product 
just by looking at it and playing with it on my own. Um, so strollers, for example, I do not use instructions uh, until it's all assembled. So I get it out of the box. I try to assemble it without instructions. If I can do that, that's check mark one. Um, because a lot of people don't use instructions. They try to do it all, you know, by themselves. So I stand on strollers. I fold them up. I bump them up and downstairs. I weigh them down. I'll push them around outside. Um, and what's interesting about, cause I live in Denver now here, we have a very interesting geography because we have city environment, suburban environment, and we have off-road. So I have basically all three terrains you would take a stroller on. So mm -hmm. it's very, very convenient. Um, so strollers are a little bit different. Um, car seats, uh, car seat safety is huge to me. So when I get car seats in the mail, I have friends. I don't have a car. I don't like to drive except if it's on a highway um, for a road trip. <laughs> but um, I will borrow my friends' cars and install car seats to see how easy it is, how they work, et cetera. Um, and then there's certain things within car seats I need to look at uh, from a safety standpoint and ease of use standpoint. Um, with baby carriers, I have weighted baby dolls in my office, which is super awkward um, because my office is my second bedroom here. So I <laughs> you just look like the creepiest person anyone coming over. Just all these like dolls in a second bedroom. Back in New York, I mean, it's not so bad here because I have space to kind of shut everything away. But in New York, to get into my apartment, you would have to like crawl through my office full of baby crap. <laughs> I remember when I would like be on a second or third date with somebody or somebody would come over for wine and I'd be like, Oh, by the way, this is what I do for a living. And I think that the hardest thing for me, it's very hard for me to explain my job to people. Cause it's just kind of my job yeah. and I love it. But from a dating standpoint, I even asked my Facebook audience once, I was like, if you had to explain to a potential boyfriend, what I did for a living, how would you do it? And the answers were hysterical. That's uh -huh. so great. At least that, at least you have that excuse and that is your thing. Cause I mean, that definitely has to make you look like a serial killer. When the person walks in, you have like lifelike baby dolls, like sitting around and stuff. They're just like, Oh my God, this guy's going to kill me right now. One of them has his own Instagram account. It's the angry baby. And he's got about 11,000 followers. <laughs> and, uh, he, Thankfully, he doesn't weigh anything, but I travel with him a lot. So I, when I'm talking about car seats, I can show, you know, harness placement and all of that. But I think in the uh, six, seven years I've been traveling with him, I've only been stopped by TSA twice. And they're always like, you know, you have a baby doll in here, right? And I'm like, mm hmm, mm hmm. It's my plastic son, you know. Um, That's so great. So it's, it's always interesting and like sometimes i'll forget and not fully zip up my bag and i'll be walking around with like his foot hanging out and that's always <laughs> but yeah it's i i have an apartment full of baby things like i sit in a high chair at my dining room table uh, i can't believe that supports you that's so that's like a uh, quality high chair yeah there are there are a couple high chairs out that go up to like 350 pounds and are actually designed for you to use from like six months up through adulthood so mm. Yeah. Nice. So <laughs> let's jump back to the product reviews for a second. I would love to know if you could distill down what seems to be kind of 
the overarching most important things to you with the product. You, you touched on that a little bit with the um, strollers in terms of putting them together. Yeah. Um, and then car seats, you mentioned getting them in. So it sounds like maybe a common theme would be just general ease of use, period, is like the most important thing. Would that be right? Or what do you think? Ease of use um, and function, absolutely. Um, just because, you know, with car seats specifically, in America, we have about an 80 to 90% misuse rate, which is ridiculous. Holy crap. Yeah, yeah. And as more car seats come out and the technology changes, they're getting easier to install and use, but people are not aware of these things because they tend to be in the higher end car seats. So um, it's it's just a matter of like product information and knowledge. And for me, car seats are number one. That's your number one purchase. It's your insurance policy for your kid. Um, and everything else kind of filters downward. Um, but there are just things to look for, like a stroller, you know, in New York, your stroller is your car in an urban environment. Your stroller is your car. If you live in the suburbs and you're not going to be walking a whole lot and you're in and out of your car to like go to Trader Joe's or like the mall, you may not need a stroller with really, really incredible suspension and all of these bells and whistles like you would if you were living in an urban environment where you push it all day, every day. Mm, good point. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is definitely lifestyle driven, obviously. Um, but for me, the number one reason you buy a stroller is to push it. You know, you're not, it's not called a folder. It's, you know, you, the amount of time you're spending folding your stroller is very, very, very minimum compared to actually pushing it around. So it, they need to have really good wheels, um, and a comfortable handle. And other than that, it's just kind of like frills and bells and whistles. That's such a good point. That's such a good way to think about products in general. And, and particularly, obviously, if you're reviewing them. Yeah, it's, there's just a lot, there's a lot out there and like, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm part of the problem and it's like, there's a lot out there you can read, you go everywhere online and you read all these reviews and you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of noise yeah. out there. Um, and I try to cut through that as best as I can. How do you review things like breast pumps? So I was on your website and I was like trying to look at the different categories and I was like, this is like the weirdest one for him, right? Like how, how do you review something like this? Well, I will tell you back when I first was working in retail, there was one breast pump that it still dominates the market. Uh, and I, I won't name names, but it's in a yellow box and it's, you know, hands down market leader in the category, but it's because people don't know better. And I was not trained on breast pumps working retail. And it wasn't until I went to work at that birth education center and started working with lactation consultants. And they were like, well, actually this pump is not that good. You need to look at this and features like an open versus a closed system and flange sizes and speed and suction controls. And the most popular breast pumps on the market do not have those features. And specifically this one, the, the one I won't recommend ever, um, it's an open system. And that means bacteria can back up through the tubes into the motor and it gets moldy. So a lot of women don't know this. They don't know they have to take it all apart and clean it. And it's very difficult to take it apart and clean mold out of a breast pump. Nobody and nobody has time for that, apparently. So with breast pumps, over the past few years, I've developed a relationship with one specific brand, Evenflow, 
And their uh, lactation consultant that they worked with to develop this pump, I have actually known for about 10 years um, before she started working with that brand. So with breast pumps, it's really just like from a feature standpoint, like three, four different things you need to look at in a breast pump. And other than that, it's like, you know, my sister tried all of them because she has four kids and she breastfed and nursed and bottle fed and did all of it. And with that pump specifically, she, they sent her the pump and she was like, this is the best pump I've ever used. We need to find a way to work with them. So that's how that relationship started was my sister 100% telling me to contact them. Hmm. So yeah, breast pump, they're a little, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not trying them on myself. Um, but there's a way like you turn the suction on and you turn it up and you can kind of feel, you know, when you're going from single to double mode, like is the suction the same in single as it is in double because it should be the same. And a lot of times with pumps, like when you go into double mode, the suction is decreased and that shouldn't be the case at all. Right. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. So it's just little things. Do you find that it's actually sort of a strength in your industry and with what you're doing, being a man without a baby that is reviewing all these things because you're sort of removed from them? Like you're you're looking at them in a totally different way than than moms would. And I imagine that, you know, mom bloggers sort of are have the like lion's share of this industry and yeah. not and not single men. <laughs> so, uh, like as a single man, though, do you find do you find that there's almost a strength because there's nothing to like cloud your judgment, so to speak, with with anything subjective relating to the products? Um, yeah, and I and I realized that when I was working at Bye Bye, I knew immediately because I was a man that when women would come into the store, specifically in the gear department, if they were working, there were like two female employees and they were awesome. But women, it is specifically in the parenting space. I think there will always be sadly some kind of underlying um, competition aspect to it and kind of always wanting to one up and do better than the other woman. So they would give advice and then those women would turn around and they would only want to talk to the men in the department. So that that's when I first realized being a man in this space would be very different and set me apart from it. Oh, wow. So you, you feel like you have a leg up in general, just being able to give like oh. the people are more receptive to your advice. Oh, absolutely. Wow. That's so interesting. And, and I know, there are, there are women in my space who I, you know, watched their videos and everything when I first started working who do a very good job of it and not saying a negative thing about them. But I know that being a man in this space sets me aside. Ab absolutely. Because it's an oddity. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think a lot of that has to do with just the general parenting conversation and parenting world in general, because male caregivers for some reason are still considered like, oh, that's cute. He's going to babysit the kid so you can go out for a girl's night out. No, it's his kid. Right. <laughs> yes. Thank you for saying that. I do think I do think there's this underlying almost like reverse patriarchy. I don't know how to describe it really um, in, in parenting, but because I'm man in this space, I know I stick out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's very different. Like a lot of mom bloggers and 
I hate the word influencers more than anything. I, I, that and Maven, uh, those are my two most hated online buzzwords. <laughs> um, that, you know, an influencer, you can have a gorgeous Instagram account, you can do whatever you want, but that doesn't necessarily mean you actually know the products. And I don't consider myself an influencer or any kind of maven or whatever. I know I am a baby gear expert. That is my actual job. How it all happened is beyond me. It was fate. If I had not been on that subway train with that newspaper, it would have never happened. But um, but this is my job. Like it's not just like oh, I'm Instagramming my kids in a stroller for fun and it's going to be pretty. Yeah. Like I, I take this very seriously because I knew when I was on tour and doing cats everywhere and my knees hurt all the time and they still do because it's cats. Um, I knew that I would eventually get out of performing and go into teaching. I always wanted to teach. I used to watch the American teacher awards on Disney channel every year growing up and I would cry and I had very, very, very good teachers growing up. I was very fortunate and I love the teaching aspect of what I do. So it's this weird hybrid of not even necessarily like my attention whore actor needs, but a performance aspect and education aspect combined into one job. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, uh, I would love to know if, if it, so on the, on the one hand, it sounds like you get a lot more, uh, trust and appreciation and stuff in your industry for for being you for for just being uh, a male. Do you ever get the exact opposite of that? And particularly back when you were face to face with people a lot, um, do you ever see the opposite of people who are like that? There's no way that you can really like know what you're talking about because you don't you don't have a kid. So how would you know? It doesn't really happen that often anymore, but. When when I first started, I I definitely got some pushback, and uh, there were times working retail, you know, at Bye Bye, people would come in and they were like, "I don't trust you. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have kids." And I would flat out just call them out right there, and I'd be like, "You have come in here to this store to ask my opinion and get information from me." So I. Just by that happening, I already know more than you do about this subject. <laughs> That's so and great. It, and it's not saying that all retail employees are built equally. I corrected people all the time, all the time. If I if I hear people like in a retail environment tell people incorrect information, I don't do it in front of people because I think it's tacky. But I definitely kind of bring it up, and I'm like, you know what? This is actually incorrect. Um, which is why a lot of what I do now, specifically with these speaking events, I work, I would say 95% of my work is with small specialty local stores um, because they seem to have, because they have to, they're like, they have more skin in the game, you know, because it's like, this is their livelihood. It's yeah. not like a BRU or a Bye Bye Baby or, you know, Target or anything like that. So they train their employees very, very differently. And um, like my friends in Boston, they have a chain of baby stores called Magic Beans. They do an incredible job of hiring people. And then they do really good training on top of that. So you don't have to like second guess what they're saying. And so when I go into these small stores and I get to like 
do speaking events and play and talk with all of the other employees. It's so fun because as stupid as it sounds, it's like you can nerd out about baby gear with like people who are wired like you. Yeah, for sure. That's great. I love it. <laughs> That's so weird to say out loud. <laughs> oh, um, what is it like having a, a blog and a job where there is a constant turnover of your followers? I, I, I struggle with this. It, it's very tricky because um, your window of acquisition, you know, with a newer expectant parent, the window is very, very small. And then they kind of age out of what I do after about four or five years. Mm-hmm. But what I we're slowly branching off into like cooking and like whatever now, because I found that I would say one of the things that sets how I operate online apart from others that are just baby gear driven or baby gear review focused is I, I have a wide breadth of what I post about. If I go see a musical, I'll post about it. If I am out drinking all night, I'll post a picture of my cocktail. I all, because I travel a lot and I'm a foodie. I'm always posting restaurants that I go visit uh, when I travel And it's just, it's not all baby focused on my site. And I think if it was, it would be very, very, very boring. Um, And it's kind of how I, you know, operate now. I've been a little mouthy about the political climate in the past year, but if, but it's because I care about my audience, you know, and if I did not care about the people I was giving stroller advice or car seat advice to, then it would just be me shelling product with no real, I would, it, it would mean nothing to me. It would just be a check. And that's not how I operate at all. So I keep like the, the page is a very open concept kind of thing. I know it's like the baby guy and that's my focus, but I would say it's about, 75% of what I focus on. Well, it's cool because it leaves the option open for people to keep following you after yes. that for your window, like you said, and they yeah. don't have to leave. And I, so, and we're going to jump into some of these right now, but uh, you posted on your Facebook that you were going to be on the podcast and yeah. um, asked your followers if, if they, if they had you on a podcast, sort of what would some of their <laughs> questions be? And people responded with some great stuff, but I was really surprised by how many people respond, which well, unfortunately for them, none of their questions are going to be asked right now because we're going to stick to the baby guy part of this. But there were a lot of people that asked questions totally not related to anything baby related at all. It was just like, hey, like, what was a good musical you saw recently? Or, hey, like, what, what what's going on with your acting thing with this? And it's like the only reason that people ask questions like that is because they're they're fans of you as a human being, you know, and they're following you as a human being and not just, quote unquote, the baby guy, you know, that it is the weirdest, like. I, I never, when I was performing, I didn't really care about being famous or whatever. Like I just wanted to keep working and being proud of my work. And that's how I view it now. So the fact that I have gained some like notoriety or whatever with my job now is still hysterical to me. Yeah. The irony. Uh, And like, you know, I remember to me, one of, one of the biggest things I've done to this day is when I went on Martha Stewart and Martha Stewart to me was such a big deal because I was raised by a single mother and we had no money growing up, but my mom always had the latest issue of Martha Stewart living magazine. So it was always something nice to look at. And there were, the pictures are very nice. And it was just this idea of really good living, you know? So the night before I went on Martha Stewart, I was 
nervous as all hell. And this is, this is back when I only had like 2000 Facebook followers and I got on Facebook and I was like, you guys, I'm really, 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 really nervous. Like somebody talked me down. And this woman was like, you have to remember if you're on Martha Stewart, you are Martha Stewart approved. And that helped so much. And going on her show, I was like, Oh my God, I feel this is what it's like to be famous. It was so weird to me. But then I left there and I was on unemployment and had $40 in my name. (laughs) Like that Martha Stewart appearance only happened a few months after I lost my job. Yeah. So I was just like, I, I feel like I'm bamboozling people right now. Like I appear to be very fancy and famous and I'm not at all. Yeah, totally. Um, so it, it's a little, you know, like I'm more comfortable now and you know, it's, it's different, but it is, it's still hysterical to me when I get noticed in public or recognized. I bet. Um, if I'm out with my sister and all of her kids, like, Forget Ikea, can't go there. Nope, nope. nope. <laughs> um, and Disney, I, I never went to Disney growing up. I went when I was like four because, again, we had no money. So I've only really started going to like Disney as an adult. So the first time I really went to Disney, I got recognized. And I think what's funny, um, I'm introverted. I'm very much an introvert. Like I don't get rejuvenated from being in public and being around people. It's exhausting. So when I'm at a conference all day and I have to meet like all these women and take all these photos, it really, I, I love it. I absolutely love it, but I have to shut down. I can't do it for longer than like four or five hours at a time. Yeah. yeah. So at Disney, I started to get recognized all the time because it's Disney world. And so luckily my friends own baby carrier companies or like car seat companies. So I will put on my Instagram or Facebook a photo, there's one place at California Adventure. I always take the photo. It's on top of a trash can. It'll be a baby carrier of beer with the uh, Wonder Wheel thing in the background. And I'll be like, if you find me at Disney, I might have something for you. So I carry around a backpack full of baby carriers. And it's like a park-wide scavenger hunt for all these moms. And they will tag each other because they all have season passes. And they will try to find me at the park. So then what it does... They find me. I'm like, here you go. Here's this carrier. Can we get a picture really quick? So nice to meet you. I have to run. So it it helps that the social awkwardness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I have social anxiety. Like, I don't like crowds. I'm not into it. Um, so I found that's a really good way to bridge it. And it's also fine. It feels good. It always cracks me up when I meet someone like you that is just so well-spoken and like bubbly and friendly and, ha- you know, and then like, Oh, I'm really introverted. And it's like, what? That's crazy to hear. Like, you're just, you know, you're such a good talker. People don't believe me. They don't believe me at all. But it's like, I, I mean, there were, there were times like a couple years back when I was really having to do all these speaking events to make money and I love, love the speaking events. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but it was at a point where I had like five in one month. I'd been on the road for like two weeks and it was my last couple events of the year. And I was just exhausted. I was depleted. I didn't feel good. And I just remember sitting in the manager's office in the back of this baby store crying. Like I'm a grown ass man. I was like, <laughs> Crying, and I was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And you just kind of shut it off. 
and you go and you do get refueled by the audience and their engagement and feeling that you're helping them. And that, that completely turned it around for me, luckily. Um, but it, it gets exhausting. Yeah. I can only imagine. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump into some of these questions that your Facebook yeah. followers came, uh, came through with. So, uh, first question, this comes from your follower, Jillian Berger or Berger. Sorry, Jillian, if I'm butchering your last name, it is, uh, what is the single most important piece of advice or information you have learned in your years as an expert? When it comes to parenting advice, I would say, trust your gut. You know, you, you can listen to experts and read all you want and you know, your gut is the only real thing you have in your life, like your gut instinct. Um, so read, but you're in charge of your kid at the end of the day and how you raise them and what you do or just in your general day to day life as well. Um, so just go with your gut. And, you know, my friend Jill, she runs a website called Baby Rabies. And a couple years ago, she put up this post on her Facebook and she was like, my job as a parent is not to raise assholes. And I think that to me, that's that sums it up right there. <laughs> just don't, don't raise an asshole. Don't raise an asshole. You know, that your job is, you know, to cultivate and help these kids like grow and broaden their minds and everything. Um, so don't don't encourage assholery. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like that. Um, all right. This next question comes from Karina Ortega. It is, if you hadn't gotten into reviewing kids products, what do you think you would be doing right now? Teaching. Definitely still. Yeah. Cool. I, I'm, maybe I'd still be doing like every now and then I get to do a play here and there if my schedule allows it. And it's something I really want to do. And it's not like I really miss performing, but it's always nice to get back to my roots and kind of get soul food again for a little bit. Um, but yeah, performing or teaching. Cool. Cool. All right. Next question. Uh, second question from Jillian Burgess. So Jillian just killing it with the questions. Um, <laughs> it is, what is the biggest misconception that people have about you? Probably that I'm a crazy extrovert. Yeah. I, I like to be quiet and I like to come home and I like to have a glass or a bottle of wine and watch a movie and just like chill out. I, I like to be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when people, I guess, see a lot of stuff that you post online, they just immediately assume that you must be extroverted. And that's why you're posting this stuff. Not that, you know, I also think it, it went in a cycle. I mean, back when I did the Myers Briggs, you know, whatever, back in high school, I, I have always been kind of on the introvert extrovert break, but I was very extroverted for a long time, but I think it was to overcompensate for me being such an introvert. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Totally. Um, and the one thing I think social media is like a double-edged sword because it is 80% probably of what I do for my job now, but I want nothing more than to just shut all social media off because this idea of constantly having to refresh and get, how many likes this and how many shares did I get of this? And it makes me crazy. So I have completely given up. I don't analyze my social. I, if it gets a lot of likes, great. If it gets a lot of shares, great. If it doesn't, who cares? 
I just put the information out there. I have no way to control if it is shared or how many times that that's out of all of our hands. So I just put good information out there. I interact and engage with people as much as I can, which is hard now because back when, you know, I had 2000 Facebook followers, I used to respond to every single comment I was on all day and now it's impossible. Um, but the, the constant refreshing and everything, I think that that aspect of social media has played into my anxiety greatly. Mm. Um, and it has made me more withdrawn, which is his, which is weird. Um, so that's why I have CBD oil in my coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is, that's the most uh, important piece of advice maybe for new parents is just put some CBD oil in your coffee. Yeah. Man, man oh man. Yeah. Um, um, all right, let's get a, uh, a few sort of practical questions for new parents yeah. that came through on your thing. Uh, this one is from Amethyst Erler. That is a beautiful name, Amethyst, first of all. Um, second of all, her question is, how do you suggest moms in small towns get the access to seeing and testing out all the baby gear and products that you can in a larger metro city? What do you do when their only stores are somewhat nearby are Target and Walmart? That's tricky um, because a lot of a lot of towns don't have really good little boutiques. There are more baby stores than people are aware of, but brick and mortar is very hard right now because of this beast called Amazon. So brick and mortar is like several friends of mine have lost their stores. You know, it's it's rough. Um, but I would say Target is not a bad place to go look at product. Target has really kicked it up with their baby category. Um, I mean, you could easily, you know, I, you could go into Target and get possibly everything you need now. Like, they, they really carry better stuff. Um, so I'm a big Target fan. I actually, this is a complete side note, because here I go. Um, my friend Ellen, she founded Skip Hop. It's a diaper bag and, like, nursery essentials company. And probably two years ago, Ellen has always been like kind of like one of my guiding mothers in this industry. And she's always been very supportive. And so a couple years back, she sent me this article with this link. And she was like, Jamie, have you watched this video? And I was like, absolutely not. So I watched it and it was this target town hall about bringing like smart baby products to market that are tech based. So it was the head buyer at Target and a couple brands and then like a big room full of people that were asking questions. And one of them was like, where do you go to get your information about baby products before you look at things to bring in? And the head buyer at Target was like, Jamie Grayson's Facebook page. No we go way. Yeah. She's like, we go there immediately before we even have people come in to do a line review. We always go to Jamie's Facebook and research what he thinks about them. Damn so it, that- Jamie, you got to get some of that sweet, sweet Target money. What are you doing? I need that. I need that dog with the bullseye. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would love, I would love target. If you are listening, I would love to do something with you. Um, but, uh, it's fun. I, cause the re I miss the retail side of what I used to do. Like it was so fun to work with people. And like, there were people that were coming into bye bye by the time I left that were having their third child under, under me, you know? Um, and it was cool. And I, I really missed the retail component. I think in an ideal world, if I had like, some giant loft apartment that I could just like have a baby gear showroom 
and do Facebook lives all day and answer questions with any product anybody could need, that'd be super fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. I need to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, you got this. Um, All right. Uh, We got two questions here that are kind of like two different sides of the same coin. So I'll ask them together. Um, First is uh, from Rachel Monaghan Ramkissoon. She says, if you could pick one item a new mom does not need but often buys, what would it be? Second is from Becky Long. It is, if you became a parent today, what is the very first item that you would have to buy for your little one? So what's one item commonly bought that does not need to be bought? And then what is the absolute one item that does need to be bought? With products you don't need, I always go back and forth between like a wipes warmer to keep your baby wipes warm um, and like a proper changing table because you can just get a dresser and put a changing pad on top of it and it works just fine. Um, But the wipes warmers, some people are just obsessed with them. And like when you're out in public and your wipes are not warm, eh, no, you don't need that. Wipe warmers are not necessary. Um, and if it was a pro, if I, if my loins gave birth to a baby this moment, I, the two things, well, I wouldn't have to buy anything cause I have it all in my apartment, but <laughs> I would, I would absolutely get a nose Frida. It's a nasal aspirator called the snot sucker and you suck the snot out of their head with it, uh, like a straw, um, and these sleep swaddle devices called love to dream to swaddle up those would be my two immediate things and diapers because poop <laughs> because poop yeah. for sure it's uh it's so interesting hearing you mention the um the wiper warmer things like i've you know i've now obviously never heard of that <clears throat> i'm not a parent or anything yeah and it's just it's really amazing to me I, I have you ever seen i assume you have probably the uh the, that documentary on netflix called babies Oh, I, I went to a pre-screening of it before it came out. Yeah, really? That's wonderful. Ah. I whenever I'm in a conversation with people that that will talk about this thing that they're doing for their baby, or I don't know if my baby's okay because of this, I always think of that documentary, and it's like I always harken back to the little kid that's in like Mongolia, I think, and he's in the, the he's yurt. He is the best one, and and it's like there's oh. a freaking like there's no parents in his yurt, and there's like a freaking chick like a rooster just like pecking at the ground like right next to this little baby that's just lying on the ground and then it's like cut scene to the kid in africa and the kid in africa like falls in the dirt and the mom picks him up off the dirt and sprays the dirt off his face with her breast milk you know yep. and it's and then you have like people who are like oh i need the uh i need the wipe the wiper warmer for the yeah. for the butt wipes and it's like dude this kid in mongolia there's a current right now as i'm probably saying this sentence there is another <laughs> kid on the floor of another yurt in mongolia with a chicken right next to him and he's gonna grow up just fine you know yeah. The Mongolia baby is my absolute favorite. They better just tie that baby to the bed like a leash. (laughs) It was so good. And I actually randomly, I watched this documentary on Netflix last night called Barbecue. Um, And if you're into food at all, I highly recommend it. Uh, And it goes through like probably eight or nine different countries and just what the culture of barbecue means to them. Oh, I cried. I cried at this movie. I'm weird. But it's so fascinating because it's like, the cultural significance of fire to them and like cooking together and family and tradition and Mongolia is there. And I was like, Mongolian babies, Mongolian babies. Um, <laughs> but, but there's, there are some scenes that are kind of rough to watch if you're not used to like animals being slaughtered. Um, 
But it's a really fascinating documentary. Yeah, for sure. Usually when done in the context like that of cultures that really appreciate and respect it, it's, you know, a little bit easier to to uh, to palette. All right. So jumping back to the Facebook questions here, we have a couple more questions for Uh you, Jamie, about your life. Uh, So Marie Claire Ferron says, and I absolutely love this question. How do you balance your fame and your private life? Um, fame is subjective. <laughs> I figured that would make you laugh. I love that so much. I, well, I, for instance, I just got back from a trade show in Atlanta. When I go to trade shows in my industry, it is the hardest day. It's the hardest week of my year. Um, because the pull on me and what people expect and demand and want out of me. But when I go to trade shows that aren't specifically baby, like there was a small baby section but I was able to walk around this trade show like completely incognito. And it was awesome because I could just like look at stuff and would I want to put this on my platform? Do I want to work with this company? So, you know, the flip side of that is these people have no clue who I am. And I'm like, I have 700,000 followers online, but I'm called the baby guy and I talk about whatever I want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say like, it's, I would I would say the only way for me to explain like how I balanced my so-called fame and like my personal life is it has become more of a function of me managing my travel and being out of town all the time, because there was a time when I'd only be home for like three days at a time and leave again and come home for three days and leave. And that got really hard. And like when I was like really having to struggle and scramble trying to like, work and make money and do all this. And I mean, I still work all the time, but it, I, I put so much of my personal life on the back burner. And I mean, I, I dated, you know, like one guy, like three and a half years ago or whatever for like four months, but I have not been in like a super serious relationship in almost a decade because it's just like, I, I, my focus was so, I was spread so thin and my focus was elsewhere. So I just kind of went, eh. and now here I am almost 40 and I'm like, all right. <laughs> it must've been so nice then to bring other people into the fold and oh, be yeah. able to have other people working with you now. Mm-hmm. But it is to me, it's just a constant. And I think any entrepreneur deals with it. It's just work life balance. You know, that it's what I always struggle with. And, you know, making sure like, if I just want to have an easy night, I shut off all my social media at like seven or, and like go out to dinner. It's why I still go see plays all the time. And I go see movies all the time because it's the only time I'm fully disconnected from my phone. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned the work-life balance as an entrepreneur. I feel like with something internet-based or like that has a social media account, particularly a social media account tied to it, it's that much more difficult being an entrepreneur in that space because you could always be working. You know, like if you have a coffee shop and the coffee shop closes at five o'clock, then what are you really going to do after five? Your coffee shop's closed. You know, you can think up ideas or whatever, but like you said, with social media for you, it's like you can always be doing something in, in a difficult part, especially like you mentioned being um, like a competitive person or a driven person or, or, or any of those personality types there's a part of you that almost feels like shameful or guilty. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm not like working right now. I'm not, I could always be, 
you know, you literally could always be working more. So it's well, hard to not feel guilty then when you're not working, you know? Yesterday, I rarely, rarely will have a day where I'm just like, screw it all. And I don't respond to anything. But I had to do that yesterday. I was exhausted. Um, I have a couple really big projects I'm working on right now. And, you know, my brain kind of gets on overload. So yesterday, I didn't respond to text messages. I I looked on Twitter maybe twice to do something, but I no Instagram went up, no Facebook went up. I do not care. It's like I have to be able to shut down to restore. And that that's what's the hardest thing about social is it's like I have an umbilical cord to the world 24 hours a day. Yeah. I have to be able to shut that off. And I'm also I have insomnia. So the past couple weeks, I've been experimenting with trying to sleep better, and I don't bring my phone into my bedroom. Um, and even though I would always have my phone in my room and turn it upside down, it's knowing that my phone is there and knowing that this outlet is there for me to get online and like watch YouTube clips of people falling or like, you know, respond to an email or put something stupid up on Instagram. That temptation was always there. And I find that I sleep so much better now with my phone in my kitchen and I just leave it and I'll go get in bed and I'll read a book and I'm like, oh, I need to check. No, I don't. I don't need to check anything right now. Yeah. I can sit after my coffee in the morning. It's so important to practice that restraint muscle nowadays, <laughs> like with the way that technology and society is nowadays to like actually practice your restraint and hold back from checking things. Yep. It's very hard. It's, it's a, I would say learning to develop that habit and hopefully it sticks and I continue it. That has been something that I've really worked hard on Yeah, yeah. is the ability to disconnect. All right, Jamie, next question we got coming in from Shoshana Steinmetz. Again, not, man, if, if this grouping here has any uh, like indication of how awesome the names are of your followers, it's like there's so many awesome names. It's crazy. Uh, so Shoshana asks, what's one thing you would change about your life right now? You seem very happy and busy. Um, ooh, this is good. Um, I am very happy. Uh, I am very busy. <laughs> um, I think just for full disclosure, uh, being better with personal relationships that aren't work related, like all my friends in New York, like I'm still pretty close with and everything here in Denver. Um, I've been here almost two years and it has been hard for me to kind of figure out my, my social group here. And so that's what I'm working on now. But I think just like intrapersonal relationships. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. That's another thing that people don't think about in terms of if you have your own business and you move to a new city, like how are you supposed to meet people? Like what are you supposed to do exactly? Like just be at a bar and just like look at the person next to you and be like, Hey, you want to be my friend? Like I, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. And like, this is, this is a funny little story. So, you know, Doug Jones that just won down in Alabama. No, I, sorry. I literally am like the worst person for following the news, but, uh, <laughs> fill me in. That's great. So <laughs> he just won the Alabama Senate seat against Roy Moore. So the night that he won, his son 
was behind him. And all of a sudden, like BuzzFeed started writing about him and like Alec, Doug Jones's son is such a thirst trap. He's so hot, like whatever. Turns out he lives here in Denver. So I found him on Instagram and I was like, this is interesting because I started following him when he had like 13,000 Instagram followers and it shot up to like 35 or 36,000 within a couple days just because of all of these articles. And then one photo went very, very viral. So I was like, oh, this is fine. Like we're both Southern. We're both into politics. We both live in a place that we're relatively new to. So one night I was out at the bar down the street from my apartment and he was on his phone, like Instagramming or something. And I just thought it would be nice to just go introduce myself to him as a complete stranger. And because I understand when like social media is thrust upon you, it's a very weird position to be in if you didn't ask for it. Mm. You know, so I had a drink. I went over. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he just looked at me and he was like, fine. And he turned his back to me and walked away. And I was like, dude. Instagram famous only gets you so far. And two, like, <laughs> weeks, like, I, not to downplay him or anything, but like nobody's going to care. And like, I just thought it would have been interesting to have a conversation about like how his social media made him neurotic or not the past two weeks, yeah. you know? But yeah, that was a failed attempt at conversation. So yeah, this is what happens when you try to make friends as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Jamie, let's go ahead and wind this thing down. I was going to ask you for a piece of advice for new parents, but we already covered that. Uh, CBD oil in the coffee, go, <laughs> go with your gut, um, all of the above. Uh, so let's actually go for a piece of advice if you could. So now you get a much more difficult question, which is if somebody wanted to do something similar to what you do for a living, having a successful uh, blog reviewing reviewership, like fellowship of people following them, all these things. What advice could you give someone to help them achieve something like that? Or is it just like cross your fingers, pray to God, whatever gods you believe in, and we'll see what happens. I, I think it's a mixture of all of the above, to be honest. Um, I, I think hard work, you know, and like as Ned Flanders says, he says stick to itiveness, like that that definitely plays into it. Um, but you have to have your why. You know, like why are you doing this? Why do you want to? Why do you care? Why should people care about you? And you know, when I when I first started into social, I I wasn't making a penny off of it, but I still really enjoyed it. So I think if you're going if you're starting a business specifically that will start in social media, like blogging or whatever, do it expecting to make no dollars ever on it. Because 98, 99%, 99.5% of people that work in social media don't make money off of it. It's a, it, you know, unless your numbers shoot up for some reason. So you, you have to really enjoy what you are doing. Um, and I think, one of the best pieces of advice I ever received was back in college. Um, the chair of my theater department at Ole Miss, uh, Dr. Schollenberger, he passed away a couple years ago. But um, in class one day in business theater, he was like, you have to remember as an actor that you are a corporation of one. You are your own marketing team. You're your own <laughs> management team. Like, if you don't do the work, the work, the work doesn't come to you. You are not 
owed anything. You do not deserve anything. You have to do the work to achieve it. Um, so the corporation of one thing is always stuck with me. And then when I when I got into this, it stuck with me even more because if I wasn't working, uh, no money was coming in. And it's it's that way even now that I have payroll. I have people who rely on me and each other because I don't even like calling them my employees or my assistants. It grosses me out because we're coworkers. Like right. it's to me, it's theater. A play doesn't go on without a costume or a lighting designer and a choreographer and all that. It's how I view my team that I work with. We are all important pieces of this puzzle working. So, you know, we all rely on each other, even though it's all on my back because it's my company um, so that people get paid. And, you know, my, the people who receive a paycheck from me have children, you know, so that that's always kind of in the back of my head is knowing that I have to work smarter, not harder. Um, you know, uh, my friend, Mark Fisher, he owns a gym in New York, Mark Fisher fitness. And, uh, one of his things he's big on is, uh, the saying the rent is due every day, you know, like you got to pay rent every day. So that's gotta, a really good saying. I like that. Yeah, you just got to do the work and do work that you are proud of. And, you know, I, I've always viewed social as I have like my two rules of social media. I don't put anything online that I would not want on a billboard with my face on it. And I don't say anything online that I would not say to someone's face. You know, so it's just about doing good work, doing consistent work. Um, and fighting the good fight. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Love it. I love that the rent is due every day. It's like a very malleable quote. I feel like you could ju- you could say that in response to just like a ton of things, and people would just like nod their head and be like, "Wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about." Yeah, got to pay that rent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, Jamie, man, this has been so awesome. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show and getting to know you. I, I, I am proud to call myself your adult friend uh if we ever live in the same area we can be friends um absolutely this has been great man thanks so much for coming on the show thank you so much hey everyone it's blake i hope you all enjoyed the episode if you did i would appreciate it so much if you considered leaving a review for the show on itunes i swear it'll only take like two minutes um just search for the show on itunes click on it click on ratings and reviews you can leave a quick review um or just uh keep listening to the show i appreciate that as well or tell a friend about the show or something and if you have any ideas for the show if you have a particular job or hobby that you would like to hear interviewed on the show if you yourself think that you do something interview worthy and you would like to tell the world about what this job or hobby is that you have head on over to halfhourintern.com there's a link right there at the top that says submit your ideas and you could submit your ideas for the show be them uh, somebody else that you would like me to interview a particular field that you would like to hear about or even if it is you yourself that would like to come on the show thanks so much for listening you guys